He didn't just know that Judas was going to arrest him. He knows everything that's going to happen after this. We see Jesus' power, his knowledge, and him being in complete control in this sentence. He knows what's about to happen, and he's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. He's not reactionary or confused. But he knows what is happening and what will happen. And he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't hide from these armed soldiers. He doesn't hide from Judas. He doesn't uh, run away. He doesn't try to deceive them. And in great defiance of these soldiers, he moves towards them. He steps forward, and he looks at these captors. So think of like, like, like a SWAT team. So Jesus is a band of armed soldiers is coming to arrest him. And it's not just one SWAT team. It's, it's many, many armed people surrounding him. And in defiance of their great power and their great authority, Jesus steps towards them. And he asks them, who are you looking for? See Jesus' great courage here. See his resolve. See his control. Verse 5 continues, They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. That's who we're looking for. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So Jesus doesn't hide. He doesn't run away. He doesn't deceive them. He doesn't try to talk his way out of it. He doesn't hide behind his disciples. What does he do? He moves towards his betrayer. He moves towards these armed soldiers that are about to arrest him. He looks them in the eye and he says, I am the one you are looking for. I am he. And when the, when the soldiers say that they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus responds with, I am he. Right? And he's not just saying, I am Jesus, although he is doing that. He's also using God's name. So in the Old Testament, God tells his people that, that his name is I am. And so when Jesus here, he's not just saying, yes, I'm Jesus, but he's responding to them with the covenant name of the God of the universe. And when he does that, the whole group of soldiers falls down to the ground. There's this great picture here. You can even see some of these people like getting knocked off their feet when Jesus says, I am. Can you imagine that? Jesus being surrounded by a number of SWAT teams. There are a bunch of armed soldiers with weapons. And this guy, he just speaks a few words, and these soldiers just fall to their ground. To get knocked on their butts like something out of Harry Potter or Star Wars. And it shows just the utter ridiculousness of this situation. That even though there's a ton of them, and even though they're armed, they're still trying to arrest the king of the universe who's in human form. But even with the soldiers lying on the ground, even with fear filling them, they must be thinking, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus that we're trying to arrest? And even while the soldiers are lying on the ground, Jesus doesn't run. He knows his mission. He stands over these soldiers, these religious rulers, these officers, and as they're stumbling to get back to their feet, Jesus asks them again, who are you looking for? So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. 
So as these disarmed soldiers try to get back up on their feet, as they try to grab their swords, they're probably bracing themselves for like one more surge of power coming out of Jesus and, and knocking them over again. And look at Jesus' response. It's kind of sarcastic as well. He says, I already told you. I am he. Come and arrest me. I could have ran away many times. I just showed you my power, yet I'm not going anywhere. I am he. Jesus isn't running. He's choosing to get arrested because he knows it will accomplish his mission of dying on the cross. But Jesus' followers, they still don't get it. Not only are they not watching what has just happened and seeing Jesus knock these guys over and be in complete control, yet still not run away, Jesus also, a bunch throughout his ministry, told his disciples exactly what was going to have to happen. He was going to have to die. That was his mission. He was sent as, as the savior of the world. And he would die, but he would also be raised from the grave. But his disciples are missing it. Just like we often miss it as well. They're thinking in human terms rather than in spiritual terms. Verse 10 picks this up. It says, Then Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, having a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Right the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So can't you just imagine Jesus right here just face palming, saying, Seriously, guys, have you not been watching what's just happening? These guys aren't really arresting me. They have no power over me. But I'm choosing to do this. And then in another one of the Gospels, we see uh, Jesus call the five-second rule and actually grab this guy's ear and, and reattach it to this guy's head. Again, showing more and more of Jesus' power and how he is in control even in this dark night surrounded by armed guards and soldiers being arrested. This violence, physical Fighting back is not going to be the way that Jesus' kingdom is going to come. So Jesus rebukes Peter, and not just because he's a really horrible aim, but he rebukes Peter for acting as if Jesus shouldn't drink this cup, as if he shouldn't obey the Father's plan, as if he shouldn't go to the cross and die. Jesus later tells Pilate in the middle of his trial, he tells Pilate, this guy who's in charge of it all, during his interrogation, that Jesus' kingdom, it's not of this world. And if it was of this world, then his disciples actually would be fighting. In just a few verses after tonight's passage, we see Jesus answered Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus makes it very clear what he came here to do and what his kingdom was going to look like. Yes, he is Messiah. Yes, he is the Christ. Yes, he is the king. But his ultimate kingdom is spiritual and not of this world. And he came to die, not to rule, not to defeat the Romans. In verse 12, it says, So the band of soldiers and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested and bound Jesus. I got a chance to study this passage with some, some men and women, uh, some deacons of our church. And as we're getting to this part of the passage, towards, towards the end, uh, someone noticed. They said, hey, what's going on in this passage right here, where Jesus is getting arrested? Okay, after all, we just 
read and talked about. Jesus finally gets arrested. They finally put him in handcuffs. And this person said, it made me think of uh, Superman. So there's a, one of the recent superhero movies. Superman chooses to get arrested. Right? And so he lets these soldiers handcuff him. And, and uh, this person was saying, just like Jesus is getting arrested, it makes me think of this, this scene in this movie where Superman is getting arrested. So just as ridiculous as it is to think of the man of steel, this guy who has almost unlimited strength, be handcuffed by a bunch of soldiers, even more ridiculous we should see, we should feel when uh, we see Jesus getting arrested, who's not just a superhuman, but, it is, but he's the God-man who has infinite power. So as we see Jesus getting arrested, as we see him finally being chained up and handcuffed and, and being led away, we should feel the same way as we do when we see a superhero getting arrested with just a pair of handcuffs. This is ridiculous. Soldiers shouldn't be able to arrest God. But they are. And they do because Jesus wants them to. And many of you might be asking this question, why? Okay, I get that this was not just plan B. I get that Jesus is in control here, that it wasn't just a brilliant plan by Judas, or it wasn't just really, really strong soldiers that arrested him, but that he's in control. But you might be asking why. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what Good Friday leads to. You know what happens right after this passage. Jesus gets, Jesus gets flogged and whipped and ripped to shreds so that he's unrecognizable. He gets not only betrayed by his friends, but he gets abandoned by his closest friends as well. He's stripped naked and he's humiliated and he's mocked. And this all ends with his excruciating pain, being, being nailed to a cross to die a slow and incredibly painful death. So why? Why would Jesus have such resolve to choose to go through all of that? Why was he determined to get to the cross? Why not knock out Judas before he had a chance to kiss him? Why not have his band of angels come down and, and deal with the soldiers? Why not shoot them with lightning bolts? Why not pull out a little men in black thing and kind of just, you know, make them forget what's going on? Why does Jesus go through with it? Why was he so set on getting arrested, which would lead to the cross? Knowing exactly what was going to happen. Torture, humiliation, abandonment, and execution. Why? Why did he go through that? Because of his great love for you and me. Jesus chose to go through abandonment and betrayal and torture and humiliation and even murder. The greatest injustice this world has ever seen. He chose to go through that because of his love for us. His love for you. And Jesus wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced to do this. Not only do we see this narratively in our passage today, but earlier on in, in Jesus' ministry, he made it very clear. In John 10, we read Jesus saying, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. So if I die, when I die, know that I am in control, disciples. No one's taking it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we've seen how obvious it was that Jesus wasn't forced 
into the crucifixion. He chose to. He knew that it was the only way to rescue humanity from the clutches of sin and death. And he went to the cross, not just willingly, but he went even joyfully. Hebrews 12 talks about this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why he went through betrayal. That's why he went through torture. That's why he went through abandonment and excruciating pain and execution because of the great joy he had in rescuing humanity and dying in our place, knowing that it would lead to our salvation if we put our trust in that great work of his on the cross. Our passage today ends with this, this, great, uh, this great verse of foreshadowing. It was Caiaphas, the high priest, who had advised, that the, advised the Jews that it would be expedient or it would be beneficial or advantageous that one man should die for the people. So whether Caiaphas realized this or not, he was truer than he'll ever know. Jesus did not just die in order to save all the people of Rome from getting oppressed even more. But rather, Jesus really did die to save the people. Again, earlier in Jesus' ministry, John 3, we read, For God the Father did not send his Son, did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The reason that Jesus went through the greatest injustice this world has ever seen was that for those who trust in his death as a substitute for them would be saved. And that's what we want you to hear tonight. That's what God wants you to hear tonight. He wants you to know that he is a sympathetic savior. He's a powerful God and he's deeply in love with you. He's a sympathetic savior. Jesus went through all those things we've been talking about. He went through abandonment. He went through betrayal. He went through humiliation. He went through injustice. He went through suffering. He went through distance with God. He went through loneliness. He's not just the Savior that's, that's fully God and comes into this world and never touches the messiness or the pain or the reality of life or humanity. But he came as a man. He added humanity to his divinity. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. So if you've gone through any of those things before, or if you're going through those right now, if someone has betrayed you, if someone has humiliated you, if you're going through great injustice in a relationship or in work or in school, if you're feeling distant from God, if you're feeling lonely, if you're going through pain and suffering, Jesus is a savior that is sympathetic. He understands that. And he didn't just go through it because he was human and that's just what happens to humans, but he chose to go through it in order that he might die on the cross for your sins and invite you to accept that and to be saved. He's a sympathetic savior. He's not distant. He's not cold. He does understand what you're going through and he loves you. But he's not only a sympathetic savior, he's also a powerful God. Look at him in our story today. Look at what he does. 
look at how humanity and Satan's plan and Judas's betrayal just fall apart. Yet Jesus says, okay, I'm still setting my eyes towards the cross. Even though I could do anything to get out of this. And he shows that he could again and again and again in our passage tonight. He chose to go to the cross. Our God is a powerful God. He's in control. He's dead set on rescuing you from sin and death. And we haven't even got to the resurrection yet. Spoiler alert, death doesn't even stop him. He's a powerful God. And not only is he a sympathetic Savior and a powerful God, but he's in love with you. The reason he went through all of this is because he loves you. He loves you deeply. And he offers you salvation. He says, I will die the death that you deserved so that you can live the life that I offer. Full life, spiritual life, eternal life. Both now and with him forever in his recreated, restored, renewed heaven and earth and our resurrected bodies. So as we leave here tonight, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, singing and we'll have communion available uh, for tonight as well. God wants you to remember these things. He brought you here tonight so that you could hear that he is a sympathetic Savior. He is a powerful God, and he loves you deeply. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great passage that reminds us of your resolve, your courage, your control, your power to defeat our great enemies. God, we all would have ran away. We all would have hidden behind the other, the, the other disciples would have used our power to escape but you chose not to because of your great love for us because you knew your mission because you trusted your father so god we pray tonight as we remember uh what what you did on this cross on this good friday two thousand years ago and what it what it leads to an empty tomb in just a few days that we're going to celebrate so god we pray that we would be somber tonight, but at the same time, remember how this ends. Remember that that tomb did not uh, stay full. That, that Sunday is coming. And that this wasn't just you scrambling, saying, oh my gosh, my son died. How are we going to fix this? But God, this was your plan. You were in control. You orchestrated this all. When the fullness of time had come, you sent your son in order to die on our behalf. So that if we repent of our sins and trust in that, we can be saved. We thank you for that good news. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're going to move into a time of worship now through song. And I'm going to invite the band up in a second. They're going to play through a set of five songs. And anytime during that set, feel free to come down uh, the center aisle and uh, break off a piece of bread. We have regular bread here and gluten-free if you need that. And pour, pour a cup of, uh, we have grape juice or uh, wine as well. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before our passage we read tonight, Jesus had a meal with his disciples. And he told them, guys, this is what's just, what, what's going to happen in just a few moments. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. And he said, my body's going to break. My blood's going to spill. And it's intentional. And it's so that yours doesn't have to. Even though you might die eternally, you will have life. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this over and over and over again because you're going to forget. 
And so we do. So the Christian church for 2,000 years has, has centered around this table and, and, and the message that it symbolizes. This good news that Jesus' body was broken and his, his blood was shed because he loves you. Because he wants to save you. And so if that's brand new to you tonight, he offers that for you. He says, I will die the death that you deserve in order that you may have my righteousness, my purity, my life. And so if that's brand new to you today, know that he offers that for you. And Pastor Chris and myself will be up front if you'd like to find someone. We'd love to talk more with you about that if, if, if uh, that's new to you and you'd like to pray about that and, and, and receive that. And for everyone else here in the room, we're going to have a chance to do this. And so I'm going to pray uh, in just a minute. Again, you don't have to be a member here at Hiawatha. This is open to anyone who is a true believer in Jesus Christ. Anyone who has put their trust in what this meal symbolizes and what takes place right after the passage that we read tonight. A bloody cross and then an, a resurrected body, an empty tomb just a few days later. So let me pray and I'll invite the band up and anytime during that set, feel free to come down and, and take the Lord's Supper. God, again, we thank you for what this symbolizes, what we didn't fully look at tonight, but what happens just right after your arrest. God, your, your son's broken body and his spilled blood in our, in our place, on our behalf, for our salvation. So God, as, as we take, uh, as we have this meal as a church family, uh, God, we pray that we would remember as you tell us to do, 